don't know if you like to play with Legos at all, but uh, uh, just, just for full disclosure, um, I did not assemble this. And the reason you need to know that is because I don't follow directions. Uh, I know that shocks some of you. Some of you, you get stuff, you're like, let's follow the directions, do exactly what it says, and we'll get what it says to get. And for me, that's just too uh, boring. Uh, so, uh, now, no, if you're brand new with us, we're, we're starting a brand new series, and I don't use Legos every time, but, but there's a reason. So, so let me say welcome, because we have multiple locations, fellows at RCMU and everyone at East and West, everyone online. Uh, welcome to the Lego series, and it's, it's deeper than that. Uh, here's what I think you crave, I do as well, is that I would have a life that's actually built to last versus a life that's built to fall apart. Now, here's the truth, though, that's going on in many of our lives. Many of us are like, yeah, that seems like a nice life. Maybe, maybe this is your, you're like, yeah, that sounds great. But, but many of us are like, no, that's not a good representation. This is, this is more of a representation. And you walk around going, this is more of what my life seems like. And you're still putting the pieces together. Perhaps they crumbled. Maybe you weren't ever taught on how to build a life to last. Well, that's what this series is about. What got me was... Some of the recent, I call them current events. If you pay attention to the news at all, you know that the Bahamas were hit by one of the worst hurricanes recorded. And as we prayed for them before it arrived, prayed for them while it arrived and afterwards, and now again, like I said, if you have any access to any kind of media and you've seen pictures of what happened, it is a bit devastating even though you and I are not there, it's devastating to look at someone's home completely being wiped out, going, what in the world do we now? They're just trying to get people off certain islands just so they can survive. It's horrific. It's a tragedy. But I couldn't help but think about, I mean, we look at that, and I, I, we vacation. A lot of times we go to the beach. We love the beach. And when you go to the beach, if you ever watch TV, there'll be commercials about how to make sure that your house or condo or whatever you've got is hurricane proof like like there's shutters that block the windows and the doors and like what's the kind of rating that you have to make sure that you have a, a facility of some sort that's okay and and so anytime you go anywhere to the coast you'll see that and I've seen people pay attention to their environment so as I'm writing a sermon about how to how to have a family that's built to last it, it I can't help but connect this what kind of environment is your family built for? If you go anywhere along the coast, there's codes, there's ratings, just so you know. Some of you are like, you, you know, you've seen this. That says, okay, here's how safe your place is based on what you've got to protect it. Now, I, I spent a lot of years in Kansas. And what I'm about to tell you, you might judge me on, but just got to tell you the full, I'm going to tell you the full truth. In Kansas, it was regular to hear the sirens for tornadoes to just all of a sudden be around. So we would go to the basement. That's what you're supposed to do. We would go to the basement, and our basement had the small rectangular windows that you could peer up through. And, and we would watch, and I'm not joking, we would watch the tornado distance off and go through. And then once it passed and was done and the sun came out, here's where you're going to judge me. We would get in the car and we would go look. Because it was literally like we know it, we, we could hear it and it roared through and, and destroyed. And we would go actually look at the damage. I remember as a kid, I still have pictures in my head of the damage. Later on, we would go to different towns and even help them recover from the environment that basically destroyed homes. In South Dakota, we have a little bit different. We have hail. 
Now, here's the weird part about us as South Dakotans. Hail damages cars and houses, right? But some of you, when it, you hear it's going to hail, you put your car out on purpose. You drive over to where the storm is, and we know you're doing it. I'm not talking about that. What I'm trying to bring up, I think, is a truth. And it's an odd truth. That many of us pay more attention to the safety of our physical homes and our vehicles than we do to our actual families. Many of us are investing more thought, more money, more time into the security of our actual structures that we have in our lives and giving very little attention to the people in our lives, making sure those relationships are thriving and, and can withstand a major storm in life. Even though every one of us, come on, every one of us would admit that life happens. That's what we say, right? It happens, but many of us are not prepared for that. It surprises us. You can't protect every building from every storm. You hear me? I, I know. But I think you can protect your family. I think that's where, call the analogy, the metaphor, whatever, it breaks down. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. Some of you, you are like, you're single, you're loving single. Uh, by the way, raise your, don't raise your hand if you're single. I'm just joking. Just wanted to help you out. But many of us are like, that's not my life. Well, I, I, here's the disclaimer. Whether you're single, whether you're in middle school, high school, or you're whatever age, it doesn't matter. You're like, yeah, I don't have a family. This doesn't relate. It does relate to you. Because everyone has, we have, we have a community. There's people. We have people around us. Whether your family has gone the way you always dreamt it would, is better than you ever could have imagined, or it's the opposite. Perhaps you're a part of a family now that is broken, and you're like, this is not what I envisioned, and now this stinking church is doing a series on family, bringing up all my pain. No, 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 no. No. This, this series is not necessarily about what has happened, but about what can happen. So no matter what season you find yourself, I believe you and I can learn, okay? No matter who's around you or not around you, we can begin to build a life that is built to last no matter what's going on around us. So I want to take you into, actually it's a very short, small portion of the Bible, but I need to give you some context before I show it to you. The best word to describe the time that I'm about to read to you is chaos, like, like a good storm that brings chaos. Now that's actually, to be very direct with you, a very polished perspective of what was going on. I can use other words. Horrific, brutal, gruesome, narcissistic. There are things during the time that I frankly do not want to bring up with you right now because of how nasty it was what was going on. People were treating people like they weren't people. I think that says enough, okay? They were hurting each other and doing things to each other that should never even be known by you and I. That's what this era talks about. In fact, for those of you who are detail people, or you're like, no, don't tell me more. Some of you watch Hallmark, you're like, that's all I need to know. Don't tell me any more details. Okay, for those of you who want the details, you can go to the Bible. It's called Judges is the name of the book. And you can read the horror that I'm trying to describe to you without describing it. You got me? It was bad. The beauty of the Bible, though, sometimes you can find an area of the Bible that summarizes it. And then we have a lesson. 
Here's the summary of the entire book of Judges that describes people being horrible to people. Then the people of Israel departed by tribes and families. And they returned to their own homes. In those days, Israel had no king. That's important. They didn't have a king. They didn't have someone like going, here's what you have to do and here's what you don't have to do. And the main leader. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's a description of the whole book. So now you're like, I don't even have to read it now. But that's the whole description. Is they did whatever they felt like doing. Whatever their, their mood was, that's just what they did. That describes then somebody like, that sounds like today. Good job. Historians look at the past and they articulate it for you and I so we know themes. So historians look back at the time that's known as judges and they look back and they have a word for it. You need to see it. Individualism. This is how they would describe what was going on. There is no fixed principle. In other words, people of the time that I'm telling you about where they're doing whatever they're in the mood to do, they were basically saying, yeah, you have your own principle, I have my own principle, and it could totally change tomorrow. Uh, what I'm in the mood to do today could change tomorrow. My truth today, well, is my truth basically today, tomorrow, it can be whatever. And people were functioning this way. Instead of landing on, this is absolutely true, no matter what mood I'm in, they were like, what mood am I in? And that will determine what I do today. If you live that way, you find yourself at rock bottom more often than you would like. Individualism. It's dangerous. It also contradicts Jesus. The individualism has to lean into you do whatever you're going to do, and I'm just going to leave you alone. In other words, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to give you grace. You just have at it. I'm going to go do my own thing. You give me grace, and the whole world is full of love. It's just love, 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 grace, 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 grace. And that sounds, for some of us, like that sounds, that sounds awesome. The problem is it doesn't work out that way. Still, groups will segregate amongst themselves based on what they like, and they'll look at other groups and say, you're not doing it right. Jesus didn't model this kind of living. Jesus led with grace without compromising truth. Jesus brought grace into every environment. Oh, if you've never studied the life of Jesus, you ought to. Jesus would go into a moment and meet with someone that many of us would be like, you should never meet with that person. People are going to start talking about you. You should never be around them. And he would meet with them and bring grace and be like, let's have a meal together. But he never compromised truth. He never said, oh, that's your truth? That's cool. No, he would often, with grace and truth, engage someone. a bunch of nerdy lessons that I just told you, okay? Okay, I get that, I get that. Here's why I just told you all of that. Families are being built based on trends, not truth. And when you and I have a conversation about what should we build our life on and how should we build it to last, you need to know that the majority of families nowadays are saying not what is true, but what's going on around me and what am I in the mood for, and I'm now going to craft a family. And the problem is that the trend could be wrong or the trend could go away. Do I need to bring up how you used to dress? No. Because it changes, does it not? And many of us, many of us have stories that we're trying to not repeat. You're, you're, you're saying, I don't want to raise my kids the way I was raised. 
So then you might default to and don't do this, but to the current trend. You read an article, a blog, you hear someone say something, you're like, oh, that sounds good. That resonates with me. Okay, let's do that. And you might be building an entire family, resting a generation. I mean, do you think about the complexities and the impact of raising kids based on a trend? Oh, scares me to death. So I talk to my grandparents and be like, hey, what about me scares you? I mean, that's individualism. Where whatever you want to be, whatever you're in the mood for, do it. Let's go back. Then the people of Israel departed by tribes and families, and they returned to their own homes. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right. I just told you kind of the political, socialist type of, hey, here's how they were functioning. Let's go more to what God was thinking. Even though God was king, they were their own boss. That's how they were functioning. If you're already connecting the dots, like, David, I can't tell if you're describing like today's culture or the culture of the Bible you were talking about. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's amazing how history repeats itself over and over and over and over again. And if you're wondering, like, it sounds like a lot like today. Wow, that's kind of strange. It's actually not strange. I, I can show you, this might make some of you sad, and I apologize, but we will rebound from this, okay? I can show you generational trends that if you're going to build something to last, especially a family, you need to see the trends. Um, generationally, here's how it functions. The first generation, yay them. Uh, strong leadership, economic prosperity, progress is important, spiritual values. Yeah. If you can remember, many times this gets attributed to the greatest generation. That's a cool title. My grandparents, they often get these kind of characteristics given to them. Whether it's true or not, it's important to understand there's a generation that treated this life now like there was a fixed principle, fixed truth, not evolving or changing. Well, then the next generation comes. Yay, them. They inherited what they got for the most part. So it's not earned. Appetite for risk is low because they inherited it. And they're like, we got to protect. Status quo seems right because they're, they don't even know how to earn it at all. So they're like, uh, status quo. And tradition becomes king, meaning what they've been doing, well, they've always been doing it. So that means it's the right thing to do. Some of you are like, I think I was there. Then the next generation comes. And yeah, you should be sending seeing a trend uh, they get idle and insecure they don't have vision in life because they haven't had to have that no one pushed them into that in essence no one pushed them out of the nest meaning is confused because they're like i just been doing like what i'm doing and identity is questioned and values are rejected because values were rooted simply in tradition not because they are good values and some of you are like um, who fixes this? Because you might think, oh, good, this is, you know, things come in threes, so it's the fourth generation, yay them. Not necessarily. Historically, here's what we know plays out. It could get worse, 
or it can get better. I'll take you back to the first generation. I don't know if any of this is attractive to you. I'm not suggesting that it's like, hey, make your whole life about this. I, I would never tell you economic prosperity is all that God wants you to chase. I'm not saying that. I just want to bring you back to this. And as you begin to contemplate whether you're like still in school or you're building a family or it's, that's long past, you're thinking, how do I make sure that the world around me does not destroy me? All I want you thinking is, is the current trends right now, do you think it's going to keep you strong? Do you think it's going to help you actually be here you're supposed to? I can tell you what needs to change. Someone, someone, a generation needs to refine the truth. A generation needs to say, maybe life doesn't just evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve. Maybe life is not all about mood after mood after mood after mood, cultural trend after trend after trend. Maybe life has actually something, some things that are fixed. They're true and they stay true. There has to be a generation that says, I'm going to refine the truth and we're going to lock onto it. That's what needs to happen. There is an example, there's multiple examples of this happening in history. Let me show you one. Then he commanded, no one except the Levites. If you're new to the Bible, like, I, who? Uh, these were basically the priests, the pastors. The, 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 they, no one except the Levites may carry the Ark of God. Now, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones, you know exactly what the Ark of God is. Or, or if you've read the Old Testament, you know what it is. It's, for lack of better words, and I'm sorry for those of you who are not going to like what I'm about to say, it, it's a box. Uh, made of gold. It's amazing, uh, full of amazing things. And if we had a lot more time, I would describe it more. But it represented the presence of God, the ark of God. It represented like the very presence of God. We could not physically handle being in his presence. So there's this, this representation. No one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. If you don't know what that means, is that, is a, that is a locked on truth, right? The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. Let me give you context. The reason that got said, where someone said, hey, here's what the rule is. Here's what the code is. Here's the truth is we're not supposed to carry this thing like everybody. The Levites are supposed to carry it. What preceded that statement was multiple people trying to carry it who weren't Levites. And multiple people trying to carry it and move it and hold it up. And they would die one after the other. Because God said, if you touch it, you die. And you know what many people thought? Mm, he doesn't mean that. Or, that's not my truth. One time they put it on a cart, which they weren't supposed to put it on a cart. And it began to tip over. And a guy's like, oh, I got it. That's all he remembered. Because he died. And some of us, if, especially if you knew, you're like, well, that seems kind of mean of God. He was just trying to keep the thing like steady. Well, think about if he hadn't, right? If he hadn't, if he hadn't steadied it, what would have happened? We, we should know what happened. It would fall to the ground, right? Well, the guy stepped in and said, I don't care what God thinks is true. Here's what I think is true. It's better for me to do what God said not to do. And we live in a culture now that says, ooh, God used to say that or said that. I don't know if it's a big deal anymore because it doesn't really relate to me. So here's my version of God. 
So a guy named King David, try after try after try of trying to get his ark back to where it belonged, finally was like, wait a minute. I think this is written in a book somewhere of exactly what to do. So they got pole. They said, hey, Levites, I think you're supposed to carry this. And no one died. If you make up your own code, you risk collapse. If you make up your own rules, if you make up your own principles, if you're concerned about what others think about you, so that's how you determine what you're going to do, if you lean into trends, and trends are everything to you, if you make up your own version of God, you are at risk of collapse. You can say, David, I don't like you saying that. Okay. There are absolute truths and principles in life that God established for your benefit and my benefit, for our good, so we could thrive and be built to last. But we are in a cultural trend right now going, but I don't like his rules. They don't relate to me. So what do we do? I mean, I've shown you generation after generation throwing life away. And if you're in despair right now, it's fair to say where you're like, we're going down a hole. This is bad. I can tell you what began to break down. And, and let me warn you, what I'm about to share with you will seem so simplistic that it will seem like we didn't get very deep together this weekend. And I would tell you, and I would argue this is the first step and perhaps the biggest step that you need to take. The people that were, um, were described as doing whatever they felt like doing, whatever they were in the mood to do, they had forgotten their mission in life. They had forgotten their, uh, their why. So they were just functioning based on whatever they wanted. And that is the danger you and I face with family. Mission drift. That's what it's called. If you're in the business world or really any kind of organization, you've heard of this. It's where you had a mission. Maybe you even had the pep talk. Have you ever had your boss give you the pep talk? Here's our mission statement. It's on the wall now. Yay, that's us. But then like a week later or a month later or a year later, you're like, I don't even know what that means. That has nothing to do with what we actually do. Most, almost all groups of people have this. We're like, this is, this is our thing. This is our why. This is so important. And then many of us find our place somewhere down the line going, I don't even know why we're doing this. Perhaps you started a family because, well, that was like the next stage. I mean, is that not what many of us are like? Well, okay, I did that. I did that. I guess it's time to do that. And many of us start families and go into that era of life going, well, this is just the part of the season of life I'm in. And many of us find ourselves going, this is not working. We lose our why. We drift from our mission. Right now, many families started off going, hey, this is what we're going to be about. But then it ended up not being that way and they imploded. Let me give you a historical example. In the Middle Ages, uh, there was a major economic problem. For those of you who slept through history class, don't sleep with this one. This is a big deal. In the Middle Ages, there was a major economic issue. And here's the problem. People flat out were not making enough money. They were working. They were working. Do not be like, well, they would just work harder. No, they were working really, really hard, tons of hours. They just weren't being paid very much. So they would get to the end of the week, and they would not have enough money to pay for the things like rent and food and stuff like that. They literally would work and work and work and be like, we still don't have enough. 
So the church stepped in. How beautiful. The church would say, legit need. People are not eating. This is a big deal. And the church said, we will fill the gap here. So the church started a charity and put, listen, 150 locations of this charity. This charity had one functioning goal. That you could show up if you couldn't put food on the table and ask for a loan and be given a loan to pay for stuff, to actually get Food on the table, whatever you needed. And, and here, this is a kicker, uh, zero interest loan. Uh, there was a time limit given to it, obviously, where it's like, all right, here's some money. Now you can feed your family. And when you get your paycheck, you, you're going to be able to pay this back. There's a time. Now, if you didn't uh, meet the time limit, then whatever you put as collateral was sold, and that money was put into the charity. Just giving you some time to think. Wait a minute. It sounds like a pawn shop, right? Because that's actually where pawn shops started. If you ever wonder, like, like who was the first pawn shop? Technically the church, if that sounds weird to you. But it was not built on taking advantage of people who are charging high interest or saying, hey, I know you're in a tough spot. We're going to take advantage of it. It was built on you're in a tough spot, and we want to meet you where you're at and help you out of it. It was, it was brilliant, actually, but eventually, as people are, right, they drift from the mission to where originally it was like, we're trying to help people. We're trying to help people. Hey, there's some interest to be made here. And it began to charge a little bit of interest. Then it got separated from the church. Then it became its own for-profit industry. And then it began to be a moment where people go in their worst moments and pawn or sell some of the most meaningful things and create a new debt that they will not pay back. That's mission drift. And many of us right now as families are in mission drift. Where what we one day at one moment, maybe you didn't actually specifically sit down and say, here's what we're all about. But at one moment you felt it, you thought it, you're like, this is the kind of family we're going to be about. But you have drifted from it. Our family has a mission statement. It's very unique to us. You've never heard of it. Um, our mission is to show people who Jesus is. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. It's our church's mission statement. We totally ripped it off from the church. And as a family, we quite literally, we do not have this posted up on the wall, and I do not give letterhead to the kids going, hey, I have this mission statement. But we, this, is, this is a mission statement for our family. This is our mission. And, and here's how this plays out, because you need to hear this. When our kids come home, and it's been a rough day, and something happened at school, relationship issue going on, and we have that conversation. You need to know what fuels the conversation, what drives the conversation, how we're going to deal with the, what happened is how will we show people who Jesus is. And when that we, and they love it, by the way, totally sarcastic too, when we tell them, hey, how are you going to forgive that person? And they look at me like, I'm not. I am seeking and plotting revenge. This is how it plays out. But we as a family have the conversation going, I know what they did, it hurts, and it's messed up, and they should not have done that. But our response to them is to show them who Jesus is. When, when we as a family talk about what we're going to do with money, budget talks, again, our family's favorite conversation. When our kids get birthday money and they're like, they start dreaming about all the things they're going to do with it. And then dad says, hey, did you give God his portion? And they're like, I hate you. How are we going to show people who Jesus is? What is our mission as a family? Do, does our mood affect everything? Is it going to be fueled by our mood? Or, it, or is there a mission behind this? 
when dad comes home and speaks at a volume he should not speak at and has to decide, am I going to go to my kids and apologize to them face to face? Am I going to show them who Jesus is? If you want to build the family to last, I can tell you, have a mission statement. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Have a mission statement. And let it be what you're building on and building with. Now, that's all the easy part. I got to take you deeper. Worthwhile missions require unwavering courage. And from my pastoral experience, this is where we begin to split off. Because many of us are saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. That an organization would have a mission, even that a family would have one. That sounds neat. Well, then all of a sudden a family, you're faced with, well, how, how many sports can my kid play? Where can I go? How are we going to spend money? How are we going to treat each other? What are we going to do when life unfolds in a way that we don't like? How are we going to engage people? How are we going to do this? And what are we going to do? And how are we going to be involved? And how are we not going to be involved? What are we going to spend our time doing? What are we going to spend our, our actual abilities doing? What are we... That's where the courage comes in. When you actually have to say no to certain things and yes to certain things, all because you want to build something that will last and that the next storm that comes in doesn't wipe someone out. That's the tough part. The, the people, the, the people that, that I read to you about, that they were doing their own thing, well, there was a moment where they were struggling and, and they were given this advice. I, I'll just show Many of you are familiar with this in the Bible. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Is a group of people who constantly struggled with their why, their mission. Like they were up, up, down, up, and they're like, oh, yeah, mission, yeah, yeah. Oh, we don't care. We're in the mood for this. This is my command, be strong and courageous. My concern is that there are tons of families right now who are saying, yeah, this is what we want, but we want that later. We aren't being strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. So I think this kind of verse, this kind of truth, takes us to where we need to land. Which one is creating your environment? Mood or mission? This whole series is going to go after how to build a family that actually lasts, that whatever comes your way, no matter what kind of storm, just screams at you and, and tries to rip you apart, that you will be built to last and can withstand those storms. And I'm telling you, the first step to go after this is what is creating the environment. Now listen very closely. You can't control the environment outside of your house. Life happens. There are a lot of things that will happen to you and around you that you didn't cause, and it wasn't your fault, none of that, and you can't control that. But what you can control in your family is the kind of environment you produce. What actually fuels you when you talk to each other? Your mood? or your mission. How you as a family solve problems. Your, your mood or your mission. What you give your lives to, what you spend your time doing. Mood or mission. Because I can tell you, as a seasoned veteran of family, there's a lot of moods. Lots. If you let them take the steering wheel you've all of a sudden risked some relationships 
And I don't want that for you. So you've got some homework, should you be willing to accept it. This series is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm not going to be the only preacher. In fact, one of the preachers is going to be my wife. Because she's got some stuff to say. And the only guidelines I've given her is she can't tell any stories about me unless they're favorable. I'm just kidding. But I think you need to hear from her. Uh, we have another guest speaker coming that will talk about building a family to life. It's going to be, we have four more weeks of this series. So here's what I'm going to ask that I, I don't ask a lot. I think, you, I think you ought to make every priority to be a part of the services over the next four weeks. Because whether you have a family now, whether your family isn't at all what you wish it was, or whether someday you dream of building something, it all applies to us. In fact, so here's what I'd like to do. I want you to think about something. Here's what I want you to think about. It might be your family. It might be your future family. Or perhaps it's a family that you know about right now who's hurting. Just, I'm just trying to spark some thoughts here. Your family, your future family, or a family you know that's hurting. Get them in your head. All right, now, if you're able, if you're able, everyone, I'd like everyone to stand up if you're able. And I want to pray for you, but I want to pray for you with that in your mind, whether it's your family, your future family, or perhaps God's like, hey, you guys are doing pretty well right now. And he's bringing to mind right now another family that's wrestling. For lack of better words, perhaps a family that's going through a, a spiritual or emotional hurricane right now. With them on your mind, with your family on your mind, I'd like to pray for you because let me, listen, I don't know what you think is, is broken in our world. I don't, I don't know what your version of that is. And I can tell you one of the things that's majorly broken is family. So we as a church have decided to take it seriously. That's why this has great weight to it. So I'd like to pray for you. I believe we as a church can actually begin to make a difference in your life and my life and all of our lives by going after this. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for, for all of the families represented right now, whoever they are, wherever they currently are. Lord, I ask you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would begin to protect these families as we begin to go after your design, what you think is best. God, I pray specifically for the families right now in the midst of a storm, whatever that storm is, whether, whether they caused it or, or something else caused it or just happened. God, I pray for those families. Would you help them in the midst of their storm to have peace that you are aware of their storm and that you have the authority and power to help them weather that storm. God, I pray for the folks who are, who are single and wondering how all of this relates. Lord, would you give them wisdom and truth as it applies? Lord, would you help them see what you want to say to them? God, help us as a, as a church family to own this stuff. Lord, we give you the next four weeks 
and ask that you will help us build relationships that will actually last. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.